Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. A few weeks ago, I invited Laurieanne to talk about finding a balance between exercise and mental well-being and not seeing workouts as punishments. I briefly mentioned orthorexia, but realised that I didn't have enough knowledge of it myself and wanted to learn more. In this episode, I have therefore invited Alice Reeves. Apart from having experienced orthorexia herself, she's an ambassador for BEAT, which is an organisation that supports people who suffer from eating disorders, but also prevents it from happening to more people. She has written several articles about her own story, arranged events to highlight mental health, and visits schools to educate teenagers in eating disorders. So sit back and absorb everything Alice is saying, because via education and open conversations, we can help more people to get out of this vicious circle. I also want to add that after we had recorded this episode, Alice interviewed me about my work for the BelongCon podcast. So if you're interested to hear more about what I do, please check out BelongCon's latest episode and make sure to hit subscribe on both of our podcasts as it helps more people to find us. My name is Fanny Beckman and this is Women of My Generation. today i am not too bad considering yeah it's a really strange situation isn't it yeah but absolutely bizarre like i i have i wake up every day and i have like a moment of like before i remember that we're not allowed to go out and do anything (laughs) yeah yeah i get that and yesterday i talked to my mum in sweden and i told her about the situation here and yeah it's really bizarre and because they don't have the same situation at all there so they are allowed to go out and restaurants are still open and all of that Um, so it is really strange um 
But yeah, that's not the main reason why I wanted to invite you to my podcast no. today. <laughs> um, there are other so, things still happening in the world. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and there are many reasons why I wanted to invite you to my podcast. And first of all, uh, we share the same idea that we have to start like open up conversations about mental health because if we do, we create a sense of belonging, which leads to mental well-being for more people. And um, you start an organisation called BelongCon, which does exactly this. You create a safe space for people to share their own stories. So, um, first of all, could you just please tell us a bit more about BelongCon? Yeah, so uh, BelongCon, I started BelongCon three years ago, almost exactly to the day. It was three years ago yesterday since we had our first event. And um, the reason I started it was because I felt that there was there were a lot of conversations starting to go on online around opening up about your mental health, being authentic about what's going on for you. And yet it didn't feel to me like there were there were many, if any spaces within the real world that you could go and do that outside of you know a therapy session, a counseling session, an organized therapy group. So, I had an idea of, of putting on an event that that was was sort of like a conference, um, almost like in the style of TED and TEDx, where people stand up and they speak for 10 to 15 minutes and share their stories. And for me, there have been a huge, there, there've been a lot of times in my life where I have felt like I didn't belong. I felt... Mm different to other people to the people around me like I think differently like I'm interested in different things um you know I'm I'm 33 years old now and I am a I'm a queer woman um you know I've dealt with a lot of mental health I don't it's always difficult how to phrase it I don't want to say like mental health problems or issues (laughs) But, but you know managing my mental health isn't something that I have ever found easy And I think when I was a teenager, particularly, I felt like... Because no one really spoke about it back then. Mm. Same through my 20s. And and I always felt like what was going on in my head just wasn't what was going on in other people's heads. And when I started to see these stories online, you know, hear these stories from other people, that actually what had been going on in my head through my teens and my 20s there were so many other people out there who had had the same experience I felt I felt probably a sense of belonging for the first time in my life so I thought wouldn't it be incredible if these people could all get together in a room physically in person share these stories and then have a conversation about it afterwards Mm. so so that was my idea and um and originally I called it the belong conference and Uh. um and then people came along to the event and you know I had seven speakers and they spoke about how they'd found belonging through activism through charity work through um meditation through um forming their own events through you know all, all these ways that they had found to connect with themselves with their own sense of identity and with others and then afterwards people were saying to me that's not a conference like that was like I don't even know what the word for it was and I was like (laughs) it was a conversation it was a mass conversation where people just took 
turns to speak. So I changed the name to from the Belong Conference to the Belong Conversation, and you know BelongCon still worked. Yeah, yeah. And um, and yeah, ever since then we've had sort of three or four events each year, um, and we've had speakers coming along and talking about moving countries, about postnatal depression, about bipolar disorder, homelessness, um, mm. finding belonging through like community sport initiatives, like we had someone from Park Run in Sussex come and talk, all of these ways that people have found a sense of community and identity and belonging. Yeah, and I, bet um, I went to uh, one, of, one of your events last year actually, and it you can really tell that it was a massive like safe space because mm. people just open up completely, even in the audience, and it's that's really rare. So I think you're doing an amazing job. And oh, thank you. Also, like now you have a blog as well, and you have your own podcast. Mm. Um, was that like a natural step to take for you? Yeah, I think that, so the blog, um, so I run a digital marketing agency called The Joyful Web, um, mm-hmm. which is how I uh, how I pay the bills, and um, <laughs> my, my business partner, Sophie Turton, is an extremely passionate writer, mm-hmm. and so when we went into business together, BelongCon had already been going for six months, and, you know, she's been an incredible support for it, and she was like, I want to come in, I want to help, you know, she's organised a couple of events, and she, the big thing that she wanted to do was start the blog, because mm-hmm. she finds a huge sense of belonging through her writing and you know she's had people contributing who are not writers who have never written anything really in in their lives but who you know we've in the same way that the events are not open just to professional speakers they're open to everyone you know the blog is open to people who've never even written before who want to you know to try it as a catharsis and, and tell their story and you know, Sophie has completely owned and, and been growing that. And there are some fantastic articles on there, including one from yourself. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and um, and then the podcast. So I, I have always loved radio. I was brought up with talk radio. My mum constantly had it on in the background. And then when I was at university, I got involved with the student radio station and um, mm. I absolutely loved it. I learned how to edit audio and create radio shows and trained other people up in it. And we had this incredible sense of community. Like, And when I look back, that was a time in my life where I felt a huge sense of belonging. Just in that little bubble of time that I was at university, part of that society, like our radio crew was so, so tight and so solid and so supportive and um, and so passionate about what we did and you know I, I then when I graduated I did a journalism qualification I used to work for um, a local radio station in Brighton um, supporting their news editor and um, and so when the BelongCon event started people started saying to me like you know you, sh- you should interview all of these people for a podcast like I could listen to them talk for way longer than 10 minutes <laughs> yeah. that they stood up in front of that room um so that's what I started doing and um and uh yeah this when this comes out this will be episode 16 um so mm. I haven't been that regular with it but you know it's it's hard when you're judging other commitments uh, juggling other commitments rather um but yeah it's it's been really great and I've got to speak to a lot of people as well who are too nervous to stand up in front of a room but kind of feel okay with sitting and just telling their story over a cuppa and and forgetting that the microphone's on yeah yeah I I know that myself it's very easy to forget about it when you sit and just having a, a a normal conversation with someone it's yeah I really love it um 
but also now with everything that's going on, you've decided to have an online event with BelongCon, is that right? Yes, yeah, mm-hmm. so we, we had originally planned a, a, our next, after a bit of a hiatus, <laughs> and this was such a kicker because we haven't had an event since last summer, and you know, 2020 came in and I was like, yes, like, we can finally breathe again. I've been so busy with work. Going to finally get BelongCon going again. Found an incredible venue. Booked the event in. And then literally within about a week or so after announcing it, it was clear that it wasn't able to go ahead. So yeah. So what I've done for now is I've just moved that physical event to July. But I think that right now people are even more in need of community and connection um you know especially after you know there was I don't know if it was an official announcement but the government have definitely hinted that this will go on for for longer so I think Mm -hmm. that holding spaces for for real connection and for communities is so important so even though I have really no idea what I'm doing um because I've (laughs) you know like everyone else I'm kind of really new to to conducting everything virtually um I I've I've spoken to um four of my contacts who are professional coaches um Mm -hmm. who support people who are dealing with change and anxiety so there's going to be an event on Tuesday the 7th of April online it's donation based Mm-hmm. um and all the you know anything we make just goes back into to running belong i you know i don't do this for profit i just just keep it going um mm. well that's so, amazing and it kind of so, opens up for even more people to attend then they're not brighton based yeah completely and, and the idea that we're going to get people in advance to just send fill out a, a little uh, a short survey to tell us what they're dealing with um, and then we're going to share that information with the coaches and just, you know, th- these are people who, you know, are professionals at supporting people. And so that's what they are going to be doing in that space. You know, I'm not a coach. I, you know, I can I can create a space, but, you know, these four incredible people are going to going to be there to to answer people's questions and, and give what kind of coaching and, and tactics they can, you know, they can impart for for dealing with this incredibly Mm. strange situation that we find ourselves in at the moment yeah yeah well that sounds like it's such a good idea and what time is it on the 7th uh that'll be at 7 p.m so I thought you know those people that are still you know working you know yeah you know we I mean you know my we've been very lucky in that we do run a, a mainly digital business so we haven't as yet been impacted you know anywhere near as severely as 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 other people but we are trying to keep sort of some semblance of a working day so I thought you know evenings yeah yeah it's it's important to keep that routine or create a new routine somehow um but you've mentioned now that you struggle with your own mental health previously and Mm. you actually developed orthorexia at an early age and that was even before the whole hysteria surrounding like fitness and slogan strong is the new skinny Mm -hmm. but You know, still, I think there are lots of people who aren't familiar with this condition. So Mm -hmm. could you just explain what orthorexia is and why you think you got ill? Yeah, so so the, it's, I think it's important to say that as, as far as I know, um, unless there's been a change within the last few months, orthorexia still is not actually classified as a medical condition. Okay. Um, 
not in the same way that anorexia and, and bulimia are, um, mm-hmm. but um, Beat, who are the the UK national the the UK's um, eating disorder charity, who we'll, we'll come on to speak about in a minute, they they do have a lot of resources and an explanation around um, what orthorexia is on on their website. So I'm I'm speaking from my experience rather than any kind of agreed definition. But um, yeah. so this, all of this happened to me when I was around fourteen or fifteen. So, you know, nearly 20 years ago now. Mm. And I I had... I think the first thing I remember is being conscious that I looked different to a lot of the other girls in my, um, in my year. You know, I, I hit puberty sooner than, than a lot of the other girls, which meant that I was, you know, my body was larger than theirs. I was taller than them. You know, I was, you know, and, and I and I would look at them and just wish that I was I was like them. And, you know, the, the media at that time and I mean, it's got marginally better now. But, you know, in in the sort of, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, it, it really was terrible in terms of representation of bodies. You know, everyone yeah. was was skinny and fit. And, and if you didn't feel like your body fit with that. Mm-hmm you know, there was no representation anywhere. And, you know, I, I got it into my head at the age of 14, that in order to be as popular and as liked as these other girls, um, it would really help me to to lose weight. So without telling anyone, I just sort of put decided I was going to put myself on a diet. Mm. Um, and I decided which foods I was going to allow myself, which foods I was not going to allow myself. Mm. And, um, you know, my, my parents lived in separate houses. I was, you know, and, and this is a massive correlation as well. I was a huge overachiever. I was a straight A student, incredible perfectionist, did every extracurricular activity going. So I was quite often at school until kind of later in the evening, I had a paper round at the time, so I would go out and, you know, walk the streets for hours and hours in, you know, a couple of evenings a week. And mm. so I found it very easy to sort of say to my parents, you know, oh, don't worry about me. I'll, you know, I'll sort myself out. I'll get my own dinner. Um, and, you know, I, I gradually, I, I saw my weight dropping. And mm. as my weight dropped, I restricted my food more and more. My list of foods that I said were okay and were not okay gradually got longer and longer and longer. Mm. So that's very characteristic of orthorexia. It's not about, it's not so much about not eating, you know, it's not complete restriction like like anorexia. Mm. It is a list of foods that you tell yourself are good or pure or acceptable and a list of foods that you tell yourself are bad or wrong or dirty. And it's it almost, for me, became like a phobia of eating any food that I did not feel was an okay food to eat. I thought something terrible would happen to me. You know, I thought that, you know, I would... I, you know, the, the fear of putting on weight, like the intense, the intense fat phobia... You know, phobia of food, phobia of being fat was was immense. And as a result, I got smaller and smaller and, and smaller. 
um, until, you know, my parents stepped in and just said, that, you know, this, this isn't acceptable. We know that something's going on. Mm. Um, Did you seek professional help at that point? Yeah, so, so at that point I was 15, so we went to my GP and my GP was phenomenal, um, mm. you know, at, at a time when the whole kind of mental health conversation was extremely taboo. Um, mm. My GP was absolutely wonderful and I got referred to um, the, the um, children's mental health unit at our local hospital and I immediately started having counselling, family therapy, I saw a dietitian, um, and my therapist said to me very early on, because I, I was eating, I was eating three meals a day, you know, I was getting up, I was having my breakfast, I was having my lunch, I was having my dinner and, mm. and I was, you know, to anyone that didn't know, it looked like I was eating really well, really healthily, mm. but there were just no calories in it, there were not enough calories in what, like your body needs fat your body needs calories fat and calories are good things that's what yeah. keeps you alive yeah definitely and, and I'd eradicated fat from my diet pretty much mm. and and my you know my therapist said to me she said have you heard of a condition called orthorexia and I said no and um so in I think it was it was in 1997 I think mm-hmm. uh, Dr Stephen Bratman coined the phrase orthorexia as a set as a obsession with healthy eating and, and with pure foods to the, to the point where it's damaging and um and she said to me this is what I think you have um but I can't diagnose you with it because it doesn't exist <laughs> so oh. um so my official diagnosis was anorexia bipolar disorder and obsessive compulsive disorder mm-hmm. because I had elements of all of those three things <laughs> oh wow and it must and have I didn't like affected really fully have any of them. No, exactly. It must have affected your whole life if you were that obsessed with food. Like were you still able yeah. to see friends or do anything like being active? Like could you even move no. your body? So I was doing I was doing home exercise and I was walking, power walking for at least an hour every single day. Oh, um, wow. and yeah, doing a, a punishing home exercise workout I I genuinely have no idea how I had the energy I I cannot believe it but I did somehow and um but yeah it affected everything like I couldn't even eat a meal that was prepared by my parents I couldn't eat you know the only the only thing I would eat from a shop was like a low fat packet a low fat like pre-packaged sandwich you know, I, I wouldn't touch anything else that had been prepared by anyone else. I couldn't, you know, this is the age 14 and 15. We're like mm. just starting to be allowed to go out on our own and go and get pizza and go to Nando's. And and like, yeah. I just couldn't, I couldn't eat any of it. So I avoided any kind of socializing that involved eating. You know, I couldn't go around to my friends' houses for dinner because I couldn't eat anything that their parents had cooked. I wouldn't. Mm. Mm. Um, you know, at school, I would you know at lunch at lunch times when everyone was around eating I didn't want anyone to see that I wasn't eating so I just used to avoid people and you know I'm anyone that knows me now like I'm naturally extremely extroverted and and sociable you know that's my that's my preference that's my natural propensity and and I just almost completely lost Mm. that sense of who I was because I I completely isolated myself 
because I didn't want anyone to know what was going on with me. And, and yeah. I th- you know, that's why this went on for so long. It was, you know, it was a good six months of being mm. extremely unwell before anyone even noticed. And that's, you know, that's not on them. That's on, that's how dedicated I was to hiding this yeah and you said it yourself it's linked to you being a perfectionist and being really good in school which I'm also surprised to hear because obviously if you don't eat any fat you can't like you you need fat for to develop your brain and stuff like that so Mm. how how is that even possible I I have absolutely no idea like I honestly look back on that sort of that couple of years of my life and I just think how did I keep going Mm. but then I didn't but literally school was my life Mm. I didn't do anything else (laughs) you know Mm. but now you mentioned earlier um, the organization called beat and you're an ambassador for them um so I was also wondering like can you see um I don't know how it really works being an ambassador do you meet um like younger people in person or is it all online based or how does it work yeah, so I so I saw an advert on Facebook um, mm. about two years ago um, for uh, to saying that Beats were recruiting ambassadors in in the southeast and and I and I saw it at you know at, at pretty much exactly the right time because mm. I would say that I have really only been recovered for about three years. Um, oh wow! So how many years were you ill then? So, so I was ill from the, the age of, you know, what, what would be... I mean, this is the thing about eating disorders. I don't believe this has changed. It may have done. But I, even though I had an eating disorder, mm-hmm. they were unable to diagnose me with having anorexia mm-hmm. until my weight fell below a certain point. So even though I had I had it, I still yeah. had anorexia. I needed treatment. My BMI had to fall below a certain number before they could say, yes, you officially have anorexia and now we can start treating you for this. And that's obviously so problematic because it's a lot to do yeah. with mental health, not just a physical appearance. Exactly. And what is also extremely problematic is then as soon as my weight got to the point where I was healthy, mm. I was able to be discharged. Oh, yes. Wow. So then it was like, oh, okay, now your weight is this. You don't have anorexia anymore. Not Mm. true. No. And even though I... So what? So essentially what prompted me into recovery? So anorexia or eating disorder, orthorexia, you know, whatever it was that I I was experiencing, Mm. a huge characteristic of an eating disorder is the need for control. So for me, it was about exercising control where I felt like I did not have any control. And I won't go into all of the, you know, (laughs) things that happened in my childhood. But, you know, by the age of 14, I had dealt with a lot that a lot of people do not deal with. Okay. And and I think for me, this was about taking control in in some way. So what made, what I'm doing air quotes here, made me recover in Mm -hmm. air quotes was that my therapist got so annoyed with me that she said to me, if you come back next week and you have lost one more pound, we are sectioning you, we are putting you in a hospital, we are sticking a tube down your throat and you will not leave that bed until you are a healthy weight. Mm. 
So for me, I was like, well, that's all my control being taken away. So this clearly isn't working. So I started uh, eating yeah. again. Mm. And, you know, it was horrible and it was difficult and there were a lot of tears and it took a long time. But, you know, within a year, I had put on enough weight to for them to be able to say, oh, well done, you don't have anorexia anymore, which is pretty much what it felt like. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, by, and by that point, I was leaving school. I was thinking about going to college, so... You know, I got I got discharged and I was, you know, and I and I sort of moved on. But then because the underlying issues hadn't been dealt with, they dealt with my weight, they dealt with the bit that was threatening my life. Mm. But I then went to college and I developed, you know, issues with alcohol. I okay. was severely depressed mm. for a lot of the, the time. Um, and then in my 20s, I developed a fitness addiction. And in my brain, I was like, well, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to go back to, you know, restricting what I eat again, because I know that's a dangerous path that I don't want to go down. So what am I going to do? I'm going to start exercising obsessively. But isn't and that again, w- one of the symptoms of orthorexia as well? Yeah, mm. exactly. Mm. <laughs> so my eating disorder didn't go away. The way that I was dealing with it just shifted into something else. Because I knew that, you know, I was like, I don't want anyone who knows my past having a go at me for restricting my eating again. So I'm not going to do that. I'm going to up my exercise. Mm. So again, I lost a lot of weight in my 20s. I got very skinny to the point where people were like saying that they were worried about me. Yeah. And then I was and then it's like I woke up and I was like, oh, my God, this is where we are again. Mm. (laughs) You know, we're here again. It's it's dangerously obsessive. It's, you know forcing myself to exercise when I'm exhausted it's making sure that I have to do like this many miles at this speed and this many reps of this and do it every day and if I don't go out I have to go out for twice as long the next day and and I had got completely into all of those behaviors again and I didn't manage to get myself out of it until I was about 29 Mm. um and that's when I you know (laughs) back to off the tangent again so mm. so then I saw this advert for beat and I thought oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and a caveat of it was you must be recovered and for the first time in my life I was like I am recovered wow. I'm gonna do this mm. so I went along to a training day um, and there were a whole bunch of us who um, had dealt with all different types of eating disorders um, a phenomenal group of people and so we basically got trained in that day. We got we learned all about the charity, about what they do. We spoke about how to tell our stories to the media. You know, stuff like never send a before and after photo if you're asked for one. <clears throat> never mention, you know, I've spoken in this podcast about my weight loss, but I've never used any numbers. You know, yeah. Don't use numbers. Don't mm. say how much weight you lost. Don't say how skinny you were when you were at your lowest. Um, you know, don't talk about how many calories. Don't mention specific foods, you know, yeah. and like trained to talk about eating disorders the way I'm talking to you now, where you're mm. not giving numbers. You're not giving because anyone that's dealing with an eating disorder. It can be so triggering. So triggering. that obs- And that obsession with numbers is so real. Mm. You know, it's everything. It's, you know, it's your weight, your size, your how many calories, how many grams of food, you know, then how many um, miles you've run, how fast you've run, how, you know, all, everything is numbers. Mm. So it's like blanket, don't talk about numbers. Mm. Um, And then they sort of help you build your story together. 
and a, and a big thing for me is I realised how much I'd been pushing, pushing it to the back of my head, to the point where I'd almost had to re-remember what I'd gone through because I just pushed it down and pushed it down and pushed it down. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it was remarkable to hear from other people who've also been through that stuff. So I met this wonderful um, woman called Anusha who has also spoken at a belong con. She shared her story. Yeah, I remember As her. well. Mm-hmm. Um, because until I met her at 29, I had never met anyone who'd had orthorexia as well. Oh, Really? And we got talking and our stories were so similar mm. in terms of, you know, stuff like, you know, you know, and when when we, we were talking, we and, and to hear someone else say, I used to get a stool and sit it next to the cooker so that I could watch what my, you know, for me, it was my parents, for her, it was her partner, watch what someone is doing, everything they're putting in that frying pan. Oh, wow. You know. And I was like, oh, my God, to hear someone else saying that was, you know, and it comes back to that belonging, like that sense you get of like, oh, my God, I wasn't, I'm not the only one to have ever thought this thought or done that thing, like someone else understands is incredible. And so, you know, since that day, I have um, mainly what I do for B is um, is being available as a media representative and um, and giving talks. So I've given talks in local schools, um, both to the kids and to um, in like school nurses, teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, also um, uh, speaking to m- mental health nurses. Um, so there was a training day for, for medical professionals, for GPs, for mental health nurses to hear more about eating disorders. Um, I've spoken to a few journalists who've asked for comment on stories Um so really it's about being a spokesperson as someone who has been through and come out the other side of an eating disorder, challenging those stereotypes, challenging misconceptions, telling mm. people what helps, telling people what doesn't help. Mm. And then just being that, you know, for, for particularly when we go into schools, talking about the signs and the symptoms and how if you think you're dealing with this what you should do what you should do if you feel like a friend is is dealing with this um what's helpful what's not helpful to talk about and all that kind of stuff and what's the response you get in schools for example because after hearing everything you said now about orthorexia I feel like it's something that's definitely common now with the, like I said previously like strongest new skinny and everyone's you know encouraged to go out and and exercise and um so do you ever get any feedback from people in schools what their own experience anything like that um it's very mixed uh it's very if I I don't know if you've ever given a talk to a room full of teenagers um (laughs) but you get (laughs) you get a very mixed response (laughs) (laughs) and then it's very difficult to kind of get them to engage and ask questions afterwards because obviously you remember what you you know what it's like being a teenager like you don't want to put yourself out there you don't want to ask a stupid question yeah true um but you know so sometimes you get that reception but you know sometimes the kids really do you know we, we normally kind of then break out and we'll go around and we'll have a chat to the kids afterwards and you know you do sometimes get kids opening up or you know saying that they're that they're worried about something or they're worried about a friend um you know, we get we get. I gave a talk to with a couple of other ambassadors to a, a group of you know quite young, 
a mixed group of girls and boys and um was sitting with like a bunch of sort of 12 year old boys afterwards and it was <laughs> the questions they were asking were just so insightful and mm-hmm. sweet and funny and I was just like oh my goodness <laughs> you know like what you know what how you know how do you how, oh god what was what, what was it one of them asked it was something about like how so if you notice a friend is is has an eating disorder how do you get them to eat but in a nice way <laughs> oh yeah 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 <laughs> stuff like that but that's like you know. such a valid question how do you do it oh that well you know that mm. <laughs> if we knew that it, it you know it would be easy to to support recovery you know that the nature of eating disorder you know they are what you know it, it's it's the mental health eating disorders are the mental health condition with the highest mortality rate yeah because yeah you know, the, the physical symptoms are so incredibly damaging. Mm. Um, and, you know, I think, I think for me, it took a lot of therapy and it took realising the impact of my family. You know, I had, I was having my treatment for sort of my lowest weight in the summer months. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I distinctly remember my therapist saying to me, you're very lucky that we're going through this now because she said if if this had been in the dead of winter if you'd have got cold or flu Mm. your chances of survival were minimal because there is no fat around your internal organs oh wow so it was was that that was like a wake-up call for you yeah Mm. a massive wake-up call and it's like well this isn't what I wanted like I didn't want I didn't want to die this isn't, mm. you know, and, and for me to have that realisation of like, oh, my God, I didn't want to die. Like, I didn't, mm. you know, and, and then having that control taken away. So for me, it was what made me recover w- was basically being threatened with horrible things and, and finally realising what the impact of my, you know, what realising what path I was on mm. and thinking, I don't want to go down this path. I got that wake up call. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it sounds like you definitely met the right people and got the right professional help, Mm. um, which is so important. But nowadays, like you said, there's so much online as well and you recommend Beat's website to get support as well. Yes, so Beat Beat are an incredible charity. They've got so many online resources. They've got a helpline. Um, They've got, you know, they've got um, advice for what to do if you think a family member is dealing with an eating disorder, if you're dealing with an eating disorder... They run campaigns, they lobby parliament for change, they Mm. campaign for access to, you know, mental health provisions, for better understanding of eating disorders. They're incredible educators. Mm. Um, So they're they're an absolutely fantastic charity to support. And, you know, particularly at the moment, if if you're feeling, you know, to any of your listeners, if you're feeling like you want to do something to support, the situation the UK is finding ourselves in now... Mm. is an incredibly difficult time for a lot of people who are dealing with eating disorders because the reliance on routine Mm. is so heavy Mm. that to have that taken away and to be in a position where you are suddenly with your family, you maybe don't have access to foods that feel safe, Mm. Um, you don't have access to, you know, getting out, getting fresh air, you know, if 
if that is how you how you manage mm-hmm. um it, it's it's a really difficult time and um br they have a notice on their website that they are continuing to operate and they want to provide support so if you do want to help then you can help by making a donation to beat so that they can keep their helpline running in this really really difficult time for a lot of people who are who are struggling yeah that's a great advice i actually recently talked to a friend and we recorded an episode about this as well um about the current circumstances and how that could possibly lead to um more eating disorders but then we also talked about how it might be like helpful in a way um that you are forced to change your routines and uh, potentially start thinking about what matters in life that you can't potentially choose what to eat all the time so yeah it can definitely go both ways but that's amazing that they've realized that uh beat that that this is a massive problem and then that they are there to give support yeah it's interesting because that was my first thought like you know I, I think even even to some extent now even though I consider myself recovered I do have certain foods that I like to have in the cupboard that I feel like I eat regularly like I eat every day they keep me feeling healthy. They keep me on an, you know, I, I enjoy eating them. I have my meals that I like. You know, I, I still am, you know, there is a part of me that is still quite habitual about what mm-hmm. I eat. Okay. And when we, we went to the supermarket last week and there was so much of what we would normally have in that wasn't available. Yeah. And it really dawned on me in that moment that oh my goodness, thank God I am not in the space I was in even, like, you know, a few years ago. Mm-hmm. To not be able to exercise in the way I was, to then not be able to eat the foods that I'm comfortable eating. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it, I, I, it, it actually dawned on me that, my goodness, my recovery really is here yeah. to the point where I am just picking up what is available, what I know I can eat. I am willing to eat different things. Mm. I am willing to, you know, make sure that I look after myself in a, you know, an exercise, you know, from from an exercise and, and cardio perspective, but not worry that I can't go to the same fitness classes that I go to every week. Mm. You know, and I was like, oh my goodness. And then I had a thought of like, to all the people that are not where I am, who are still dealing with this stuff how much Mm. of an impact that could have been having on that this could be having on their mental health yeah 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 it's really draining to even think about um because it affects so much um the current situation um but I was just wondering do you have like any last thoughts on how we can prevent more people from developing orthorexia I think a massive thing that has helped me and, you know, this fits completely in with your, you know, your incredible photo project. Like for me, and again, a few years ago, I decided I was just going to unfollow anyone on social media who, you know, was using hashtags like Fitspiration and Strong Not Skinny. And I'm like, no, (laughs) I don't need this in my life. So I completely got rid of them. Um, I started following, you know, women who have, you know, a range of diverse body types who, um, 
are part of the body positivity movement, who are part of the fat positivity movement, who are challenging all of these notions around what it means to be healthy, what it means to be beautiful, what it means to have an, a, a good body. Mm. Um, so, and I think they're all incredibly beautiful. And that for me has been like, well, why do I think other people are holding me to a standard that I am not holding any of these women to because I think they all look incredible yeah so that was a massive um, a massive help I discovered a fantastic podcast um, on recommendation from a friend a few years ago she hasn't done any new episodes in a while mm-hmm. um, but she has brought a book out so um, Dr Laura Thomas has a book called Just Eat It mm. which is all about intuitive eating and she talks a lot about intuitive eating from the context of recovering from eating disorders and disordered eating Mm -hmm. but I discovered her through a podcast called don't salt my game okay which is all about intuitive eating and um and I you know I haven't had any formal support with with intuitive eating but I have read a lot of books about it I have listened to Laura's podcast extensively I've then followed up and read a whole bunch of the resources that she's recommended through her podcast Mm. um and and essentially in intuitive eating is all about getting back you know a lot it brings in a lot of kind of mindfulness and you know meditation has really helped but it's all about getting in touch with what your body is telling you it needs and you know, one of the things that ha- that happens when you have an eating disorder is you spend so many years overriding your hunger cues and your fullness cues mm-hmm. that you reach a point where you can't tell whether you're hungry, you can't tell whether you're full. And intuitive eating is all about getting back in touch with those. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, working out, okay, my body's saying I'm hungry. I know it's saying I'm hu- it's hungry because I've got a bit of a headache. And that for me is a, you know, is a, is a cue that I'm hungry, mm-hmm. you know, or I've got this sort of like little feeling just starting to happen in my stomach. Okay, I want to eat something. What should I eat? Okay, this is how I'm feeling. This is how I know this food's going to make me feel. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to have some of that. So, you know, getting in touch with what you actually want to eat, how much you want to eat and when you want to eat it. Yeah. And just u- using your body's natural signals, not eating breakfast at a set time, at a set amount because you think that you know this is what your meal plan is telling you to do you know any anything to do with diets any anything around meal plans and you know diet industry stuff all of that is encouraging disordered eating patterns because it's about not listening to your body and eating what someone else is telling you to eat Mm. so you know for me I think what (laughs) I think the biggest thing that that can be done is to just completely do away with diet culture altogether. Yeah. Like, there is no diet that works. There is no diet that is not damaging. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I second everything you say. Because um, it sounds so basic, just, like, listen to your body and your hunger and everything. But like you said, it's so difficult in a diet culture where loads of companies just tell you that you need to do this and that in order to to live a healthy life and live longer and all that. But mm. when it comes down to it, it's wrong. It's all about, like, listen to what you need and what's good for you. Yeah. So definitely read read, um the book was it just eat just eat it by dr laura thomas Mm, it's actually on my on my list because i follow her on instagram and i think she's incredible 
Um, but yeah, thank you so much for sharing all of this. Oh, thank you. Um, and we're actually going to record another episode now, but for your podcast. We are. Yeah, it's really exciting. Um, but thank you, Alice, again. You're incredible. Thank you so much. <laughs>